Hello, everyone, and welcome back to this Sunday edition of the Introvert Theater Podcast. Um, I'm recording this episode because I had watched a film I hadn't seen in a while, at least maybe within a year or two, and that film was uh, Days of Heaven, by directed and written by Terrence Malick, which was released in 1978. He just happens to be one of my favorite directors. And I thought it was a pretty significant film. Uh, naturally, I mean, I own the physical version of the film. And i it's just something that I wanted to share with you guys and kind of recommend. So I guess what I'll do is I'll kind of go over a brief summary of the film. I'll talk about significant uh, scenes that I think are either funny or significant to the story or that kind of further the plot which will ultimately lead to the end, and I'll give my overall impression of it and why I suggest watching it. So with that, again, it's Days of Heaven, released in 1978, directed by Terrence Malick. Uh, it stars an incredibly young and handsome Richard Gere, who plays Bill, Brooke Adams, who plays Abby, Sam Shepard, who's only known as the farmer, and Linda Manns, known as Linda. Now, it's important to establish... I think that Bill and Linda are brother and sister, and she's significantly younger. I would say Bill is probably, I would say mid-twenties, at least in the film. Um, by the way, Richard Gere is only 29 at this point, and I don't think I've ever seen a film aside from this one where he looked as young as he does. And um, Linda is probably about 12-ish, 11-ish. But she has the heart and soul of, uh, of an adult who's lived many lives. And Abby, um, Bill's girlfriend, is also kind of wise in her own way. Now, the film opens up in Chicago in 1916. Uh, this is just prior to World War I. And we learn that Bill is actually working a steel mill. And that entire sequence is just this... Um, collection of sounds coming from the steel mill, and you see people talking to each other, but you can't quite make out what they're saying. And all of a sudden, this um, this guy who we, who we can assume is either a boss or the foreman of the steel mill walking up to Bill, and they get into um, a heated conversation of sorts, to the point of where they, you know, stare each other down, and then they throw a couple of fists. And eventually, well, you know what, I think, if I remember correctly... The foreman throws a fist and misses, and Bill decks the guy with one blow. And it turns out that he killed him. So, that's a good basis for for any film, right? You get a sort of an idea of the time and the economy of the time, and just how hardworking everyone was. You get a good sense of the working class, and it kind of helps propel the story forward. Because you have this huge, huge thing that happens, and our three um, main characters are on the run. So they leave Chicago by way of train. They sneak their way on this locomotive with quite a few other people from uh, you know around the around the U.S. And they all make their way to te to the Texas Panhandle and end up working a season for a rich farmer. And they basically are hired to sack the wheat fields. And it's this big, beautiful, sprawling farm, this huge wheat field. And there's 
sort of animals running free all over the place. And that, I think, is fairly significant in that the film opens up with one of the most recognizable um, classical pieces, uh, The Carnival of Animals. Now, going back to the summary, eventually what happens is, as they begin to work for the farmer, Bill kind of stumbles up to the house. There's this big, beautiful house on the farm. And he learns that it's the, um, that it belongs to the farmer, obviously. So he just kind of, Bill just kind of sneaks his way around looking for any little thing he can. And he listens into this conversation between the doctor and the farmer. And during this conversation, he finds that the, uh, doctor tells the farmer that he only has one year to live, if that. And they never specify what the disease is, but that's kind of the gist of it. And having heard this, Bill convinces Abby to marry the farmer so they can take his inheritance. And that's Days of Heaven in a nutshell. Now, as far as some significant scenes go, I think the opening is pretty strong because during the train ride, the opening narration and the first voice we hear is by Linda, uh, Bill's sister. In the in her dialogue, and I'm just kind of paraphrasing, she says that they're always th the three of them looking for things, searching for things, going on adventures, and she mentions that. Anywhere they go, anywhere they end up, Bill always tells everyone that him and Abby are brother and sister. And she says the reason for that is, my brother didn't want anyone to know. She says, you know how people are. You tell them something and they start talking. Now, she also mentions that she met, that she met this guy named Ding Dong. <laughs> And she says, um, he tells her that the whole world is going up in flames. And she says, uh, the way he describes it is that flames are going to come out of here and there. They're going to rise up. The mountains are going to catch fire. Um, creatures are going to catch fire. Their wings will get singed off. People will be screaming. And Ding Dong tells her that only the good people will go to heaven and escape the fire. But if you've been bad, she says... God don't even hear you. He don't even hear you talking. And that's, um, it's, it's interesting that it opens with her dialogue. And she has a unique uniqueness to her voice. It's not so much Midwestern, uh, which is where they presumably come from. It's more of an Eastern accent. You know, New York, New Jersey, Philly, somewhere around that area. Now, she has a friend, and this is important, and it's just a very small scene. The scene itself is maybe only two minutes, but it's another girl who's slightly older than she is. Uh, she's, if, if, if Linda's 11, 12, this girl's probably about 16. And in this scene, her friend tells her that her uh, boyfriend, who was also working the field, left her. And she questions her beauty, and she's very edgy, or rough-edged, I guess you can say. 
both of them are, you know, constantly smoking, which was common for that time frame. You could look up any picture of, you know, children of the time and they were just smoking as much as the adults were. And I wanted to bring that up because the friend comes into play later. Now, going back to that issue with um, Bill des describing him and Abby as brother and sister, it's something that everyone becomes suspicious of. Uh, there's actually a scene where, where they're being fed by the farmer and the foreman, and they're pretty, you know, decent plates. They're like turkey and potatoes and all sorts of good stuff. And this other farmhand kind of walks up to Bill and he says something along the lines of, in, in his in his rough Texan accent, he says, um, hey, you're, so your sister, what does he say? He says, your sister keeps you warm at night, does she? And Bill obviously takes offense to this and he throws his plate of food <laughs> at the guy and then the other guy tosses his food back at him and they get into this fight and they break it up. And I wanted to bring that up because it leads to this funny scene where um, Bill and Abby, and they, they, it's, it's funny because Bill and Abby kind of take all these little um, ventures off to the side and kind of try and hide their relationship and get some time alone. And this is one of those scenes where Bill and Abby are hiding under the stagecoach, just kind of laying there, and um, Abby looks at him and she says, Hey, she's like, it's a shame you don't got any food left. She's like, I'm still kind of hungry. And Bill laughs, and he looks down at his shirt, and he starts picking at it, and he says, I think I've still got some potatoes here if you want, and he kind of hands it to her. So it just kind of highlights their relationship. You know, despite everything, they they try and have fun. And eventually, as I mentioned earlier, once Bill finds out of um, the farmer's illness, he convinces Abby to marry the farmer. And he eventually starts to regret it. He he sees the time that the farmer is spending with his girlfriend and realizes he's losing out on time with her. In fact, there's this one scene where Bill and the farmer try and, you know, become the best of friends, given the situation. They go hunting quail. And Bill... Um, actually pulls his gun and points it right at the farmer behind his back. And just as he's about to pull the trigger, the farmer turns around, Bill points his rifle at the ground, and bam, his shot goes off. And there's this really awkward silence between the two. And you get the sense that the farmer is maybe watching with a little more of a vested interest in, in Bill. So, eventually, Bill apologizes to Abby um, when they're alone in one of the stables. He um, says that he didn't know what he had, and he regrets having told her to marry the, the farmer. And it's this really sweet scene, um, because in this film, he Bill has like these really deep, just kind of sensitive eyes. And Abby's very much the same. She's like the only woman on the farmland with, you know, jet black hair and kind of her own attitude. She's very different from the rest of the women there. And 
it's funny because the they both seem so kind of devoid of human emotion. In fact, a lot of the adults do in this film. And I'll touch on that later, because I think that's pretty significant to note. And just to kind of give you an idea of how sporadic this film can be, there's a scene where these two planes just land in the farmer's front yard, and it turns out that they're um, members of a traveling circus, and they only speak Italian. And it's never really explained why they land. Maybe they need to gas up or something along those lines. But they end up entertaining um, Bill, Abby, the farmer, and Linda. As, you know, the farmer kind of invites our protagonists or our main characters into his home and builds their trust. So I guess that's one way of showing that that kind of unity and uh, togetherness and trust that you think the farmer has in these people. And it should be noted that the foreman who works the farm with uh, the farmer is very suspicious of Bill and Abby, and he even tells them. But the farmer, uh, being under the spell that he is, <laughs> tells the foreman to work the northern part of the, of the land and stay there. So he kind of kicks him out of his um, territory. Now, the significance of the um, of the um, the circus landing their two their two planes in the front yard is that they eventually take Bill um, away from the farmland after Bill realizes that Abby starts falling for the farmer. He just you know obviously can't sit there and watch the woman he loves being in that situation so. He leaves with the, the traveling circus, and he returns the next season. Now, it turns out when Bill uh, returns the next season, so do a swarm of locusts. And they, you see them kind of creeping in the wheat fields towards the beginning of the film, but it becomes problematic when he gets back. Now, there's a scene in the house where... Abby and Linda are kind of, you know, cooking and cleaning the house, and all of a sudden they notice that there's just little locusts all over the place. Like, they're in the food, they're in the the cabinets. And the farmer realizes how bad the problem is when he sees this swarm of locusts kind of land in his field. Now, if you know anything about locusts, um, it's detrimental to anyone with any plot of land, right? I mean, these... um. So he decides to have all the farmers go out and swat them away. And swatting is just what it sounds like. You know, there's people out there with with anything. Uh, articles of clothing, with twigs, and, you know, just kind of swatting these um, locusts away. But that's kind of like an impossible task. Because it's this huge swarm. And during this um, this whole ordeal... Um, a fire breaks out when they try to smoke out the the uh, the swarm of locusts, and this happens because of an altercation between the farmer and Bill. Um, prior to this, the farmer had actually seen two moments of intimacy between Bill and Abby, so he catches on and realizes that his foreman was right. So he 
comes up to Bill, and they get into a scuffle. A fire ignites through the fields, and just like Linda says, the fire did rise. It caught everywhere. Humans were screaming. Animals were running all over the place. And once again, Bill um, has a screwdriver on him because he was working on a one of the farmer's vehicles. I think it's a motorcycle. And he stabs the farmer and kills him. Kills him dead right then and there. Uh, naturally, Bill runs to Linda and Abby and tells them, we've got a book. <laughs> He's like, we've got to go. He's like, I'll tell you the story later, but trust me, we've got to go. So they, um, if I remember correctly, steal one of his vehicles and off they go again. And so they catch a, a ferry or a boat and just get as far away from Texas as they can, follow, following the uh, the river where it may go. Now, eventually the foreman leads uh, a group of policemen kind of following their trail. Unfortunately, they do find them um, as they make camp for the night. And Bill is shot dead dirty. He's like, he's shot in the back, this poor guy. And he's left to just, just kind of at the riverbank. Now, the significance of the film as a whole. I'd like to think it's um, kind of a, a romantic drama, a period piece. And I think the most significant thing comes from the narration. Because even though Linda's not the first character we're introduced to that we see... It is a story from her perspective. And I feel that's kind of why the humans are so kind of devoid of emotion, because it's it's her. It's her perspective, and children at that age are kind of used to hearing and seeing the worst and then just kind of going about their day. And I say this because at the end, she's left at a boarding school and Abby goes her own way, and eventually Linda sneaks out of the out of her window <laughs> by way of um, bed sheets, and she meets up with her friend that she met in the field. And once again, her friend is um, having boy troubles, and they basically just kind of say fuck it and, you know, walk off. They go about their, their day, they wander these train tracks, and they don't know where they're going to end up, but they just keep moving forward. And that's kind of the life that she's lived and what she's used to. And that's kind of how kids are at that age, right? We see and hear the worst and we just kind of move forward. Now, the significance of the, you know, the hellfire and the animals, the locust especially, because if you, <laughs> it's just kind of funny because you, in the midst of this romantic um, drama, you have these uh, locusts of biblical proportions <laughs> kind of swarming on this farm, and you get the fire and the people screaming and the animals running, just like Linda and Ding Dong described. So, it's just a really unique way of, of um, telling an otherwise sim simple story. And that's always nice. Um... Life in modern cinema can be kind of um, 
cumbersome as is. So it's it's really nice to have something that's kind of laid out, but in such a way that but that makes you think. You know, there's a lot going on in the film, and I think Terrence Malick's approach to um, cinema is very different than a lot of other directors. He's kind of in a league of his own. Now, he's had some, you know, misses, of course. I mean, what director hasn't? But his approach is very poetic, and it's very kind, and it's very reserved and quiet. If you're an introvert, this is the movie for you. (laughs) There's no... It's not overtly loud. It's not overtly bombastic. It's... It's peaceful when it needs to be. The drama that builds kind of escalates in a a way that has an emotional maturity to it. You know, you don't have people screaming their heads off at each other, cussing each other out. It's very real. And it's about as grounded as a movie can get. And that's kind of what I appreciate about the films that I do love when it comes to Terrence Malick. Um... If you've never seen any any, any of his films, I'd highly recommend The Thin Red Line, which um, I'm not a gun person, and I'm not one who um, who looks at um, war and doesn't think about the perspective on both ends. But that is a really significant film, and it's very moving and very well shot. And the same for a film called um, The Tree of Life, which is a little over four hours, if I remember correctly. Maybe nearly five hours. But, again, Terrence Malick's approach to film is very meditative. If you want something to kind of soothe you, and that reminds you of the, the beauty and the significance of life, and those silent moments... I think you would be hard-pressed to find anything that comes remotely close. So, I guess that's a good place to stop. I kind of wanted to make this as short as possible as compared to the last episode. So again, the films of Terrence Malick. Really interesting, meditative, poetic, quiet, humbling, satisfying... They're all these things, but more importantly, they're about life and being introspective. So with that, um, I don't know when I'm going to post the next episode, but I'd really, again, like I mentioned the last episode, would like to focus more on this and just kind of post things as they come. So I hope everyone is doing well this Sunday. Um, I hope your weekend was awesome. Don't forget to stay healthy, and until the next episode, take care.